The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. All right, so it's my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the Medics Money podcast, Jenny Stone, who is a specialist medical accountant with RBP Chartered Accountants in London. You're like podcast OG, you're a podcast host yourself. I think you are also like one of the original members of Medics Money. And I think your video that we did on YouTube about limited companies is our second most popular YouTube video of all time. So that's a big intro. Did I miss anything? Do you know what, Tommy? You normally introduce me talking about our pension webinar, but that was so long ago in COVID. That's been forgotten about now and we've moved on. I mean, <laughs> How are you? I've erased that from my mind because that was crazy. Back, <laughs> it was back when we didn't think anyone would come. We weren't sure if doctors wanted to talk about money. Medics money wasn't that big and over a thousand people turned up and that was pretty yeah. mayhem. I think that might still be buried in YouTube somewhere. <laughs> anyone that wants to see it. But yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, I'm good. Thanks. And And, you know, we talked about limited companies last time. I'm super excited to talk about something related to that today. So should we just get straight into it? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So we're talking about limited companies again. You're just going for the crowd favorites. I like that. And let's talk about like how corporation tax works for limited companies, because it has changed a bit recently. And hopefully, if you've been following the podcast or our YouTube channel, you're aware of this. But some people might not be because it's got a whole lot more complicated, basically. Definitely got a whole lot more complicated. So just as a reminder, and like you said, hopefully people that are listening will be familiar with this now. The corporation tax rate, we used to have just one rate, 19%, was lovely and easy. But now obviously it's changed. The main rate of corporation tax is 25%. But if you've got a small company and profits up to 50,000 are taxed at 19%. And then we have this sort of bit in between this marginal rate. So the easiest way I explain it to clients is I say profits from 50,000 to 250 are taxed at 26.5%. So they're the sort of the three kind of rates of corporation tax, although the 26.5% isn't a proper rate, it's just the effective rate for the marginal relief. Okay, so wait, because we've done a whole podcast on this. And this marginal rate is a massive thing, because nowhere in the legislation does a tax rate of 26.5% appear. So under 50,000, 19%. Yep. 19 to 250, did you say? Yep, 250 is at... 26.5%. So the easiest way, there's a whole fraction that you do that accountants will get involved with, but explaining it to clients in simple terms, if you've got company profits of, let's say, 100,000, the first 50 is at 19%, and then the next 50 is at 26.5%. Nice. That's the easiest way to explain it, rather than the complicated fraction that accountants have to worry about. If you want the complicated fraction, Ed did a YouTube video on it, but it's not one of our most popular videos, that. But for the geeks out there, if you want to know, you want to know. And then above 250, it goes back down to 25%. Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, okay. So that's how the tax works now, From and that has changed recently. So let's talk about what is the topic for most of today, which is an associated company. Yeah. So 
kind of back in the old days when we had all these different rates, we had to think about associated companies. And I have to say, it's been so lovely having just one rate of corporation tax because we haven't had to think about this. But it all now comes back into play. So what does an associated company mean? Basically, if you have an associated company, then those tax thresholds that we've talked about, that 50,000, that 250, is divided by the number of associated companies. So if you've got two associated companies, it's not the first 50,000 gets divided by two. Now, when we're looking at corporation tax, it's not just about, okay, well, we're looking at this company. We've got to then look at, are there any associated companies? And I was talking to a client and I think, Tommy, what I'll do is I've got some examples to show you. So if I talk through them, because I was chatting through a client and what he thought was going to be his corporation tax with the associated company rules was completely different. So let me put on Is it screen. a spreadsheet? We only allow spreadsheets to be shown on this podcast. So if it's a spreadsheet, that's fine. No other slides are allowed. And also, if you haven't, if you're not watching on YouTube, check out our YouTube because the slides do help understanding. So let me just go through, because I want to go through what this person's position was kind of before the corporation tax rate. So I've got a doctor, he's got a trading company, and he's also got an investment company. So I know, I think you did a podcast on investment companies, didn't you? So he's got two companies. Before all the corporation tax rules changed, this was his corporation tax position. Trading company makes 110,000 profits, investment company makes 6,000 profits. So nice and easy corporation tax was at 19%. So total corporation tax for the two companies was 22,000. So I had a chat with him to say, well, look, you've got two companies, they're associated, then the thresholds get divided by two. So this is what he thought the position would be. He was looking at his trading company and saying, right, I've got £110,000 of profit. My first 50000 is going to be at 19%. And then my next 60000 is going to be at 26.5%. And then my investment company, I've got 6000 of profits. That's all going to be at 19%. So this is what, when the changes were announced with corporation tax, he thought, okay, my, tax li- my corporation tax liability for both companies was 22 2000 it's now gone up to 26 i've got an increase of four and a half thousand and of course i then had to go i'm really sorry to tell you this but your two companies are associated so your 50000 threshold is divided by two so this is actually what happens when you've got an associated company that 50000 that threshold has been divided by two. So that investment company has only got £6,000 of profits. So only 6000 is taxed at 19%. That 19000 of the threshold, he's lost it. It's 25000 for the investment company, 25000 for the trading company. Obviously, if these two companies were earning, you know, I don't know, 100,000 in each, it's not so much of an issue. It's an issue where one of your associated or one of your companies has a smaller amount of profit. It means you're potentially losing some of that 19% tax threshold band. So it's really important that clients, especially if they know that they've got other companies or they've got shares in other companies or that they actually kind of understand how many associated companies there is, because you could have, I've got this example with two, but you might have four associated companies. So if there's four, then those thresholds are divided by four. Yeah. Okay. So 
what qualifies as an associated company in this case? Why are these two associated, basically? So what an associated company is, I'm going to give you some examples, but you're associated if one company or a person has control over another company. And control is defined as more than 51% of the shares, i.e. the voting rights. So we've got scenarios where a company might control another company or a person. This scenario, this was a doctor who had control. These were both his companies. He had 100% of the share capital in each company, so he controlled both of them. Can I do some more examples for you and just yeah. talk through them? Because it's not as straightforward as just yourself as an individual and if you've got more than 51% in each company. So let me give you let me give you some a simple example first. So this is an example where I've got Dr. A. And he owns 100% share capital in Dr. A Medical Limited. And then Dr. A Medical Limited actually has shares in B Limited. So those two limited companies are associated because Dr. A controls A Medical and then A Medical controls B Limited. So in that scenario, two limited companies are associated. This other example I've got is... The scenario that I've gone through in that example is Dr. A has 100% of the share capital in A Medical Limited and 100% share capital in A Investment Limited. Dr. A being the person controls both those companies, so they are associated. So those thresholds will be divided by two. Where it gets slightly more complicated, and this is where you then have to sort of start thinking about is it's we talk about persons, but we also have to think about are there any people connected to them that overall jointly they have control. So connected people will be husband, wife, partner. You then have to look at husband, wife, partner, brother and sister. So if jointly they have control, i.e. you as a person and your connected parties have control, then those companies are connected. So I've done another example here. I've got Dr. A. Dr. A owns 70% of A Medical Limited and his wife owns, okay, spot the mistake. This is what happens when I do stuff late at night. <laughs> so, okay, Mrs. A's got 20% and the offshore organization has 10%. And then of the investment company, I've got Dr. A owns 20% of the investment company and Mrs. A owns 80%. So let's say they've got 20% in A Investment Limited. So you might go, okay, 70% in the trading company, 20% in the investment company. Therefore, they're not associated. But when you bring in the connected person, i.e. the wife, and actually between both of them being connected, they both have control over both these companies. They are connected. So it's not just about you as an individual. It's also about your connected parties as well. And do you 
overall have control. There's also talk about business partners could be connected, but you have to then start to look at are the companies, you know, dependent on the same staff, the same premises. So it can get quite complicated, the associated rules, which is why when it was just one rate of corporation tax and we didn't have to worry about it, it was lovely. And now we've all got to go back and remind ourselves of the complicated associated rules. But what I would say to anybody is obviously if you've got a company and you're concerned that, okay, am I going to be affected by the associated rules is obviously speak to your accountant, have a chat with them so that you understand what that impact is going to be on your corporation tax. Because as that example I showed, you might think you know what that change is going to be. But when you bring in associated companies, then obviously it does have quite an impact. Yeah, okay. And it's just basically largely defined by control, voting rights, share ownership. It is about control. When you start looking at business partners, you have to then you look at kind of are they dependent on the same things like premises and staff. But ultimately, very straightforward, it's about who's got control of those companies. And it's not just your individual control. It's then looking at who am I connected to? Do we jointly have control? And presumably it's an anti-avoidance measure, essentially. Just a brief interruption to today's podcast to let you know that if you are a partner in a GP practice, then the seventh cohort of the Medics Money GP Partnership course is starting on the 21st of February, 2024. We've taught over 600 partners everything they need to know and do to run a thriving, happy and profitable GP practice. As partners ourselves, we know how busy you are. So all teaching is online via our app. And if you can't make the live sessions, you can just watch the replay in our exclusive online community of over 400 GP partners and GP business experts. In this online community, you can ask questions and collaborate with like-minded partners anytime. The course is for new and old partners and there's several ways our course can be fully funded by the NHS. The new partnership scheme is one, but for those not eligible for this funding, there's a leadership and management funding in the PCN DES. Some forward-looking ICBs have funded doctors to come on our course. So head to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course to find out more and hit the apply button and we'll get back to you if we think you're a good match and to help you get the funding. Now, unfortunately, our previous course was in September that sold out and we've already filled 10 spaces on the February course from the waiting list. So if you want to come, don't delay. Go to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course to find out more and hit the apply button and we'll get back to you if we think you're a good fit. Right back to today's podcast. Yes. Because otherwise you could do some pretty creative accounting here, which would, yeah. I thought we could move on from this excellent slide to talking about other issues that you are seeing at the moment with limited companies because there's things with company cars and other things. So tell us what the problems are. 
So we've had a few issues. So obviously when we always talked about companies, people tend to leave money in and they've got sort of pots of money in there. And then everybody went through, probably all the hospitals have got all sort of the consultants will drive in Teslas because they bought them all through their companies, buying an electric car through the company. So that's fine. But I think what some people are not appreciating is that actually if you've got a company car, then you have to declare a benefit in kind, which means you have to register with HMRC as an employer. So then you have to think about doing payroll submissions and then you need to do P11Ds. Now the deadline for P11Ds was the 6th of July. If you don't do all those submissions, you are going to get penalties and penalties are £100 a month. So we've had a client who was was had said to us they were going to deal with all of this themselves. They've ended up with penalties because they didn't file the end of year payroll and they didn't file P11Ds. So it's just to make sure that if you have gone and bought a company car, so your company is owning your car, then you need to make sure that you've registered with HMRC as an employer and you're doing your P11Ds. And then obviously that benefit in kind, you need to be telling your accountant, if your accountant's not dealing with the company and dealing with all the submissions, you need to then be telling the accountant, this is my p D because you then have to pay tax on that benefit. So just just making sure that everybody that's gone crazy about, yeah, I can buy a car through the company, that you're also doing all the paperwork that goes with it. And that's what we always talk about when you've got a company, there's obviously all much more compliance. And the other thing to just to make sure that if it's a company car, so i.e. your company owns the car, is making sure that things like the car insurance, the road tax, the servicing are paid by the company, i.e. it's not a personal car, it's owned by the company. And it's trying to kind of remember that your company is a completely separate entity to you. Yeah, I think Tesla Model Y is like the fourth most popular car sold in the last quarter or something. And I would imagine that's not because people are getting £69,000 of their own hard-earned money and buying it. It's because they're buying it via a limited company. I mean, are you seeing this becoming more and more popular? Because it is extremely tax advantageous in the right circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, we always used to say never put a car through a company because the benefit in kind was like 35% of the market value. And then, of course, with the electric cars, I mean, obviously it was 0% to begin with, then it was 1% and 2%. So it's been... Yeah, absolutely. It has been beneficial where those companies who are sitting on cash and, well, I don't want to draw it out because I don't want to pay the dividend tax. What am I going to do with this money? And they're setting up and sort of going, right, well, I can buy a car. So we've definitely had a lot more of our clients with companies buy cars. Yeah. Uh The electric cars. And I have to stress, it's an electric car that's the benefit. And that's because of the lower benefit and kind rates on electric cars, which are significantly lower than historical you know petrol or diesel cars basically right absolutely absolutely we've got a whole youtube video on that so yeah the other thing i would say as well is you know just take advice if you are thinking about doing this because it's not right for everyone uh, although it is very tax advantageous in the right circumstances and watch out for things like insurance costs and stuff because some of the electric cars are really expensive to insure significantly more so than uh, like a petrol car for some reason so Something else to watch out for. Okay, like we're give, we're going on a bit of a negative slant here on limited companies, but you know, in the right circumstances, they can make a lot of sense. So, in one word, this is an easy question: Are limited companies still worth it? <laughs> I can't do that in one word. That's impossible. I don't know whether it's a no or a yes. It depends. 
It depends. I mean, that's what you always say. Come on, then. I mean, let's just get into, yeah. Let's just get into the. It depends. Put some, put some meat on the bones of that. So what I would say, and I think we, I think everybody says this, is if you need to take all of that money out of the company, i.e. you need all of that money, then a setting up a company is really not going to be worth it. Where it is beneficial and where you save taxes, where you can leave your money in the company. So, so I've got clients that are, and I know we talk about marginal rates, but obviously we've been talking about corporation tax. Now let's just very quickly talk about income tax is if your taxable income is over a hundred thousand, then you start to lose your personal allowance and between a hundred and 125,000, there is an effective rate of tax of 60%. So again, not a tax rate, but it's because you're losing your tax-free personal allowance and paying then 40%. So I've got clients where they may have hospital job and then they're doing private work, but that private work is tipping them over the 100,000. So if they don't need to take all of that money, then yes, setting up a company, putting that money in the company, paying corporation tax, and obviously you would need to again look at it, is it still worth it? Then obviously it can save you money. And I would say where you leave the money in the company is where you will save tax. So definitely to do with where you're falling into the 60%. And also bear in mind that the 45% tax bracket has now come down. So it used to be when you were earning over 150,000, it's 45%. That's now come down to, so for 23, 24, if it's, if you earn taxable comes over 125,000, the 45% tax bracket kicks in. So some of these higher tax brackets are kicking in earlier than they were. And I think the other thing that some of my clients have also talked to me about is this whole free childcare. Now, I mean, Tommy, my son's at school, so this is pass me by. But basically, if your taxable income is over 100,000, you start to lose your free childcare. So my understanding is you get 30 hours free childcare, and that drops down to 15 hours. So of course, it's not just looking at Okay, I'm paying, if once I'm over 100,000, I'm paying tax at 60%. But also, if you've got young children, you're getting free childcare, that's going to impact on that as well. So that's why some people, it's sort of whenever we look at companies, we look at it very straightforward. Okay, what is the tax you pay as an individual? What would it be if you paid a company? We kind of then compare it to increased accountancy costs and then say, this is what you would save. But actually, if the childcare is an issue, you kind of then probably want to take into account, well, actually, if I'm losing some of my free childcare, what are my childcare costs going to be as well? So that's another kind of, so I think there are, as when I say it depends, it's all about your circumstances, whether it's worth it. And what I always say to people is just take advice before you do it. I, you know, we've had people come to us who've set companies up, got themselves into a mess. So always just take advice. Yeah. So like the 60% marginal rate is bad enough. But if you are in, entitled to that free childcare as well, that 60% marginal rate, I've seen some graphs from I think it's the Resolution Foundation who do a lot of work on taxes that make no sense, basically. And the marginal rate, if you lose your tax free childcare as well, basically means it's really not worth getting stuck in that tax yes. gap between 100 and 125,140. Is that right? So have a close look at this if that applies to you, because, you know, the marginal rate on that extra pound that you earn, which is going to be doing, let's face it, like most likely really difficult, really challenging overtime, you know, waiting list initiatives or other overtime in a system that's already overstretched. You just got to ask yourself, 
is it worth it? And if you've done the numbers and you know what your take home, not your headline rate of pay, your take home pay after tax and losing your tax free childcare, if that's relevant, if you're happy with that number, then crack on, go to work. But if you don't know that number, I suggest you calculate it. And we have an article. I think if you just look Google marginal tax rates for doctors, Ed's wrote a pretty technical article, but it basically boils down to that if every pound you earn, you might only take home 17p, which ain't great. No, absolutely. And then when you take off the pension as well, the pension contributions you're paying as well. So we're just talking about tax. Then you, Yeah, and you add on all the rest of it. I know it's... Yeah, yeah. So I'm not telling you what to do and really appreciate all the colleagues out there working hard on the NHS, but just make sure that it makes sense numerically because there is this horrible tax trap around that area. Okay, cool. Anything else that we should talk about? I mean, there is this tax planning opportunity now with the change to annual allowance, which might mean that contributing extra money to a pension could, not advice, could make sense. And this window is going to shut pretty soon, really. So should we go down that rabbit hole this late in the Yeah, we can, we can, you know, we love talking about pensions, don't we? So, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not an IFA, I'm an accountant, but I seem to spend a lot of time with clients talking about pensions, but always telling them to make sure they get advice before they make decisions. But just, yeah, I mean, so obviously we were all probably well aware the changes, the annual allowance went up to 60,000. The lifetime limit is scrapped for the moment. So obviously tax rules change. And also what some people are not fully aware of is that the inflation disconnect issue when we're kind of calculating what the growth is in your NHS pension has been fixed as well. So this is now starting to give people opportunity to think about, you know, I can remember the old days of when I worked in tax for a while that people would go, well, Jenny, I've put this into my pension. How much can I put into a private pension? And then we'd kind of work out and say, well, this is what you can do. Obviously with all the annual allowance and the life time limit, people have not thought about private pensions. But what we're starting to see is people now starting to go, well, actually, Jenny, I would like to, I've put it into my NHS pension, but I would like to put into a private pension as well. Because again, you will get tax relief. It can help with the whole bringing your 100,000 down for childcare. So some people are now starting to look at that. Now, the annual allowance went up from 40 to 60,000. So what I would say is for all of you, if you are paying into the NHS pension scheme is when you look at that 60 and how much you can then put into a private pension, what you're physically paying in contributions into the NHS pension scheme is not the same as what is your growth for annual allowance purposes. So I had, gosh, quite a number of years ago, I had an IFA. He wasn't a medical specialist and he was advising one of my clients and he said, okay, he's paid 20,000, let's say, into the pension. He wants to put another 20,000 into a private pension. So I'm going to advise him to do it. And I was like, no, you don't go by contributions. You ignore what you're physically paying as a contribution and you have to work out this deemed growth. So I've got clients that will say to me, Jenny, can you roughly work out my growth if my earnings are this so that I can then see how much I can put into a private pension? So I think the inflation problem, the inflation disconnect problem means that the growth obviously isn't as big as we thought it was going to be because obviously previously it was included in the growth in inflation. So it's definitely something that people can look at. All I would just stress is just speak to accountant, your IFAs, because it's not 
looking at 60,000. Okay, I put 20 into the NHS pension. I've got 40 I can put into a private pension. You need to be able to work out what that real growth is in the NHS pension benefits. And just to add is also what I think we'll start to see is people looking at, you know, as we get sort of maybe a couple of years on, people looking at unused annual allowance as well. So, you know, if your growth takes up 30,000 in one year and the annual allowance is 60, then you can carry forward 30 to the next year and that might be the year that you're kind of going to be over the 100,000 that you're going to go right that's what I want to put into a private pension but as we always say Tommy it's important to get people to get advice. Just one other thing to mention, if some of you kind of don't know where you are in terms of annual allowance, is because obviously we've got all this McLeod judgment, so obviously everything's going to have to be recalculated. What the NHS Pension Agency are providing to people is what is called an AA and service extract. So it's an Excel document that you can kind of request it and pretty much get it the next day, which literally has all your service history on there and then all your annual allowance growth figures. So having that helps you to also look back and go, well, actually, have I got any unused that I could then think about using up to pay into a private pension? Absolutely. Right. That was like pension turbo mode. For regular <laughs> listeners, hopefully they kept up. But I just want to recap for everyone else so that we can get this really clear. And if I make a mistake, just interrupt me. So basically, you need specialist help here because you gave that example of a non-specialist IFA who didn't understand, and this is no, this is because it's so complex, not because they're not, you know, they're not good, that, that you've got the annual allowance, that's the total amount that you can have your pension each year. It was 40,000, now it's 60,000. Now, in a normal pension that most IFAs are used to, it is simply, so a DC pension, a defined contribution, is simply to work out the annual allowance, you just look at how much you put in your contributions, and that is the amount. If that amount is under 60,000, happy days. But in an NHS pension or a DB pension, it is the growth, not the contributions. And we see non-specialist advisors make this mistake all the time. It's why we set up Medics Money and only have the very best specialist medical advisors on Medics Money. So that is absolutely, I mean, that can be a massive error if you get that wrong and your financial advisor or accountant's not on it. Have I got that right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. And then because the annual allowance problem has, and it's not gone away, by the way, it's just eased, it may allow you some tax planning opportunities in future because if you haven't used all your allowance, you can carry that forward. And then if you go over 100,000 and you're about to lose your tax-free childcare and take home 17 pence for every pound you earn, and you're not really happy with that, one thing you could, not advice, look at doing is contributing to a private pension. And that hasn't really been possible in the past because of the annual allowance. But now with the new allowances, it may, take advice, be possible. Is that right? And hopefully that's helped to sort of clarify it for non-regular or new listeners that are still getting up to speed. Yep, that's absolutely right. And obviously just bear in mind real high earners that the taper annual allowance still applies. So that 60,000 does get tapered down. Yeah, 100%. So the pension geeks out there and high earners just remind us how the taper works because it's changed so much over the years that I get confused about it. 
Yeah, and it is really now only the high earners. So it, it kicks in once your taxable income is over 200,000. So what slightly complicated is you look at threshold income, which is taxable income over 200,000, and then adjusted income. So this is taxable income plus your growth. If that is over 260, then the 60,000 gets tapered down. So it gets tapered down to a maximum of 10,000. So that's really only impacting on high earners but it used to be the taper went down to 4000 that change has gone it's, it has increased to 10000 but it's really only affecting your absolute high earners all right i think i get that jenny that was awesome where can people listen to your podcast so we do our podcast, which is Accountancy on Prescription. So that's available at all your normal platforms. And we release it fortnightly. So yes, yeah. Definitely. Clients have been really enjoying yeah. the podcast. So yeah, definitely check that out. Accountancy on Prescription and rbp.co.uk. That's it. Yep. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jenny. That was brilliant. Oh, I need to remind you about we're coming to London on the 9th of November for an event with all the best specialist medical advisors in the business together so that we can all learn together. So I haven't actually talked about this anywhere else yet, but get it in the diary because it's just going to be a chance for all of the best advisors to learn from each other, keep up to date with all the ridiculous changes that are happening. And that will allow us all to help doctors better. So put in the diary. In the diary, definitely. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Jenny. Take care. That's all right, Tommy. See you soon. All right.